You're listening to the Deepening Your Practice podcast with George Haas. For more information, visit www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. So welcome, everybody. This is Deepening Your Practice. Deepening Your Practice is intended as an intermediate or advanced class, and what that really means is that... I'm um, not going to cover the basics of meditation. I expect you already to know that. That being said, if you find that I'm talking about something and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm happy to answer any questions. We're going through the Manual of Insight, which is the Mahasi Sayadaw um, text, the new translation of his manual on uh, Vipassana. Uh, the manual is really about Karnaka Samadhi or momentary noting. Um, and we're finishing up the, um, the chapter on mindfulness of the body, or the sub-chapter. And then next uh, class, we'll start with um, uh, contemplation of uh, feeling. Um, another way to talk about this is that we're finishing up the first foundation of mindfulness, or the, the pasture. And the subheading of this is a, a clear comprehension. Um, this Pali instruction explains how clear comprehension without delusion arises. A bhikkhu in, is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning. Clear comprehension without delusion or clear comprehension of reality is the knowledge that there is no I or self behind activities. Understand it in the following way. Ordinary people have deluded views about going forward and so on, such as the self goes forward, the self makes a forward movement, I go forward, or I make a movement. On the other hand, a bhikkhu, a monk or a meditator who is going forward or backwards understands that when one intends to move forward, the intention and the movement it causes make movement to, um, to another place happen. As the movement instigated by the mind spreads everywhere, the collection of physical phenomena, the so-called body, moves forward. While going forward, every time one lifts a foot, the earth, water elements may become weak and ineffectual, and the fire and air elements become strong and powerful. The same is true when pushing the foot down, when one releases momentum from the foot. From pushing the foot, the fire and air elements become weak and ineffectual, and the earth and water elements become strong and powerful. This, is, uh, this continues while dropping and pressing the foot. Um, so, clear comprehension then might be, uh, in, if we follow the, the Satipatthana Sutta in seeing, in bending and stretching, in carrying or wearing, in eating or drinking, in defecating or urinating, in walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking, speaking, and keeping silent, in internal and external phenomena, in peer appearance and disappearance, in accurate awareness. Um, one clearly comprehends what's happening, and what that means is that uh, 
you are aware in the sensing experience uh, and as the sensing experience unfolds also of an integrated understanding of the three characteristics, uh, Nata, Nietzsche, and Dukkha. Um, it can be characterized or talked about in terms of the, these uh, primary elements, uh, fire and air, earth and water, I am, I probably have said this before in here, but it's not really the languaging that I, I tend to prefer, although it is a very traditional way of thinking about it. Um, in uh, this process of being aware of sensing, really, is I think what we're talking about, the feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral in the sensing experience itself. And then as that unfolds, the perception of what it is attaches to it. So it, it's in some sense we recognize the pattern of sensing and then we compare it or the body-mind compares it um, using the language, English language, which has uh, nouns and pronouns as a way of describing things. It's very hard to describe the actions without using this binary um, pronoun system that we have. Perception is like a database of previous experiences. So something that has been experienced before and recognized resides in this memory bank. And the process of perception is where the current pattern of sensing is compared to the database of previously sensed things. And if there's a match, the body-mind makes the current sensing experience into the thing that has been previously sensed. And if there isn't some care taken, some awareness or some uh, mindfulness of the difference between the present moment and the memory, we can easily slip out of the present moment into the experience of memory, into the experience of what's already happened, away from what's happened memory or the experience of that pattern of sensation from before attaches to it, the meaning of it attaches to it. So if it was a pleasant experience, then there's a pleasantness that attaches to it. If it was an unpleasant experience, then that attaches to it. In addition, volition arises, volition or intention arises that uh, the body-mind is always calculating how to respond to the conditions of the present moment. And in that database is also all of the previous attempts or all of the previous actions that were taken in response to it and also the outcome. So we have, in addition to all of this process, a capacity to um, imagine what the outcome of our action will be in response to this, um, so that our early conditioning can greatly affect how we respond to the conditions of the present moment. Uh -huh. and, and is this the same for pools? Um, the pool is the somaticized emotional experience that's stored in the body waiting for later processing. So, um, uh, I don't know that it's necessarily on repeat. 
something happens in the present moment, the experience of it is overwhelming, and uh, the body-mind will protect itself from the overwhelm. Um, really what we're talking about here, because we're biochemical, is all of the chemicals that get dumped into the system in order to create the experience that we're having. If that super saturates the system and the, the actual physical apparatus of sensing chemicals is in danger of being damaged by the, the saturation level of the, the chemicals, the body-mind will move to protect itself. So it'll shut down the limbic system. It will repress awareness consciously of the experience as a way of addressing it. It tends to repress it and store it for later processing. You'll see children are often overwhelmed by the experience that they have. They have a narrow range of uh, responses. They have a narrow range of intensity. And, and ordinarily, things can cause the, the, the overload in that area. And so they then shut down. And then uh, if they have good enough care their, care, their their caregivers attend to them and allow them to uh, titrate it and process it so that they don't need to uh, store it, but if nobody attended to you when you were a child and you had experiences of overwhelm, they simply wait in the queue for later processing. If nobody attended to you, then they, they've simply been waiting there since then for later processing. Um, and uh, people who have experiences of caregivers that didn't attend to them tend to have these, these uh, large reservoirs of somaticized emotion that need to be processed now and uh, as long as that takes. Um, so while we have childlike adults, there's a nature nurture and then naivety versus maturity and how we respond. So sometimes you'll have adults that have severe anxiety and depression almost as much as a young child would yeah. without having that kind of mature nurturing. Well, what you would want um, to develop maturity is uh, a mind, the development of mind states that allow for emotional regulation. If you can't regulate uh, a child level of emotion because you don't have the, you didn't learn how to do it, then uh, as an adult, child levels of intensity or a level of intensity that would be overwhelming to a child remains overwhelming to you. Whereas somebody who learned mind states, um, uh, the mind states and the skill of emotional regulation can tolerate very intense emotional experiences and not be overwhelmed by them. If you recall, the, the earliest mind states, uh, the basic ones, is that you recognize that you have a mind state and that other people have a mind state and that they're not the same. In some sense, this happens uh, in relationship to your primary caregiver uh, when you recognize that they're different than you are. Uh, <clears throat> Because you recognize that you have a mind state that is different from other people's mind states and that they can perceive things differently than you do, you begin to develop the capacity of uh, investigating whether your perception of the situation is accurate or not.
Um, if you don't ever develop the sense that your mind state is different than somebody else's, then you just assume that you are, uh, not only that everybody has your interpretation or your understanding of the situation, but that your interpretation of it is accurate. This would be, um, this would typically come from neglect in, in childhood. Nobody attended to you so that you didn't learn that they had a different mind state than you. And so you never thought to investigate the accuracy of your own mind state. Um, understanding then also that your mind state has an effect on other people and that their mind state has an effect on you. This is the, in, in Buddhist terms, we would call that mindfulness of inside, mindfulness of outside, mindfulness of inside and outside, that there's an interactivity between mind states, that, that, uh, that you don't exist in isolation or uh, protected. And then this is actually uh, a process of empathy and uh, the perception, um, the three levels of empathy. The first is the understanding of physical pain, or a perception and response to awareness of somebody else's physical pain. The second level of empathy is where you can look at somebody and read their body language uh, and understand uh, what that's their body language and facial expressions as a reflection of what their interior state must be. And then the third is to uh, the compassionate empathy where you actually feel the experience of the other person. You generate in your own body a facsimile of their emotional experience in your body, which you can then interpret and, and feel. Uh, the next mind state would be that you recognize that you have an agenda and that they have an agenda and that they're not the same necessarily and that you recognize that, that you have the capacity to regulate your experience by regulating your mind state. And then the last one of the basic ones, and this is still answering the question of what makes one person more mature spiritually than another or um, with a greater capacity for emotional regulation is uh, finding meaning in in the things that you do. I don't necessarily have them in the right order as I say them. <clears throat> and then just to describe uh, emotional regulation, uh, we're born and we tend to be auto-regulators, all of us. That is to say we regulate internally within ourselves without any interaction with the world. And then early, early, we recognize that people come and take care of us. And so we then begin this process of externally regulating and, uh, and allowing them to regulate them. If you're uh, around small children, you notice that they're very focused on external regulation at a certain point. And they're constantly running for their attachment figure when they're uh, emotionally upset so that they can be regulated. And in that process of, uh, of being externally regulated, this co-regulation piece begins to happen, this, uh, this automatic unconscious attunement and regulation process unfolds between caregiver and infant. 
And from that experience of being co-regulated by another individual, you begin to develop self-mastery at regulating yourself. Um, so this is the range of emotional regulation skills where we want to be centered as, a, as mature adults who have a high capacity for emotional regulation is in co-regulation and self-mastery with occasional bouts of external or auto-regulation. Um, I, I do find um, that we live in a hilarious time where everywhere you go you see people auto-regulating with their phones. You know, that's auto-regulating. That's like really the most elemental way of regulating your emotional experience. What would you consider meditation? Um, meditation can be auto-regulation or it can be uh, self-mastery depending on how you do it. Um, you know, I've been an artist most of my life. Creating art can all be auto-regulating or it can be actually uh, an engagement of dialogue and and self-mastery, so depending on how you do it. It's pretty great. Do you want to tease the too? Well, in the, in the first foundation, we're just really focusing on what is the sensing, not even what the quality of the sensing experience is, just purely this is the, the, the data and then later we look at what we turn the data into. But what is a look at the pure data? The reason for this is going back to the ultimate versus the conceptual reality. We can rely on the data of sensing, but we cannot really rely on what we turn it into because we can turn it into anything. Yeah. So um, what we want to begin to do is this process of back and forth checking in to the data and then seeing what we've made the data into and then checking in to see whether the data, whether the thing we've made it into is an accurate reflection of what the data is, this back and forth. And then uh, as we go through the mind states, noticing that uh, our mind state uh, takes in the data that we have and creates this from it and other people will have this, will be present for the same uh, conditions and their process of, of taking in the data and forming it into something is going to be different than ours. And then recognizing that there's an interactivity between them, that their perception can affect our perception of it. That, um, that we then can begin to understand that they actually have an agenda that's different than our agenda. As a child, when you discover that your caregiver has an agenda that's different than your own, it opens up the world of exploration, that you can actually explore things that you want to, that you're not <coughs> stuck with their agenda. And that in that capacity to explore what's interesting to you, you have the capacity to create meaning for yourself. And that that's the these basic that's the basic level of of uh, development. And so in meditation, we want to pay attention also to these mind states. Do you can you touch into the sense in each moment as you're walking around the planet, 
are you constantly checking in with what you're actually experiencing and what you've made the experience into? So that you're engaged in the sensing experience, that you know that you have your own mind and its reaction, and that you're constantly engaged in this, is that accurate or not? Is it distorted or not? And how am I being affected by the, the, the people that I'm with? How is that affecting me? And what is my agenda? Do you, are you aware of your agenda or the, their agenda and how their agenda might be affecting what they're pre presenting as their version of reality? And are you then able to touch into your sensing experience and compare it to their presentation? How accurate is their presentation? This is mindfulness of inside, mindfulness of outside, mindfulness of inside and outside. And what has meaning? Um, are we engaged in creating a life where the majority of our time is spent in things that are meaningful to us? Or have we somehow gotten uh, into a life where we don't spend very much time on things that are meaningful to us, or we don't even really know what's meaningful? If you don't know what's meaningful to you, how are you going to organize it so you spend the majority of your time doing something that's meaningful? If you don't do something that's meaningful, then you may notice that you have a despairing feeling about being alive. Um, how do you get yourself to get up in the morning and pursue uh, a, a day filled with activities that have no meaning? It becomes incredibly challenging because life is not easy. Uh, even though we live in such an extraordinarily wealthy country uh, and, and we all have this amazing privilege in our, our culture just based on race, I mean, it's, uh, even that doesn't make a, a life where you haven't been able to find any meaning worth doing. And then what happens, you know, so often, conundrums of meaning. It's, of course, what happens if the thing that you that you find is really meaningful you has no societal value to it. <laughs> so it isn't rewarded. Let's say you wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> and you find that they don't pay teachers in our culture because it's not valued. There was a fight on TV that we as a culture spent a billion dollars on. So we have chatted away, or I have chatted away. Um, so we have very little time to meditate. But why don't we do some?
let that go. Sorry I left you sitting in the dark, but the door was open and so my waving didn't work. <laughs> it was a nice one. Good. Hello, um, I mean, I'm not really into all this sensation in my but witnessing like the um, the color forms that you get when you get more intense, right? And then this circling of the uh, brain activity. <laughs> I started laughing because I was like, this guy's playing stuff on repeat again. I know. It's the, the same song. Yeah. It's the like, same song as Pride at another time. Yeah. It's like, man, you're in a deep place, place, bro. You should come in here. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the same verse, though, right? Is it not? Just not the not prayers? It's, it's REM, is it? It's just that one verse, I think. It's just REM. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it's gonna repeat. It's no, it's like Mad World, that song. Is that REM or isn't that? It's something places, something faces. Right? I don't know. Don't rush. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Funny. It's very, it's very good. You know the one thing it's I noticed? It's a song to be fair. <laughs> it's a good song. The one thing I noticed is when the lights went off, you can see this. Um, Again, I don't know if it's what it is, but it's almost as if there's a, like a very thin glow around the body form. Mm. Very thin. Oh, the outline of the body? Yeah, yeah, but usually you can see it, right? But this was more of like just this lining, uh, which was yeah, cool. That the, the more common one is a sort of rapid assemblage of imagery action, but the glow is, you know, the glowy edges. Mm -hmm. Cool. Very cool. All right. Thank you for coming. Um, uh, deepening your, this is deepening your practice, so I'm always going to advocate ways to deepen your practice. One way would be to come on retreat. There's flyers out there for the winter retreat. 
which is, uh, it's going to be 11 days up in the Sierra Nevadas. It should be very pleasant, but you can come to four or six or 11 days, depending on what you want to do. Um, morning meditation is also a possibility. It's useful to get a daily practice going, and I do a live conference call every morning at 7.30. Um, you can look at my website uh, and uh, metagroup.org. And then also I do one-on-one -on -one mentoring. So if you want to have an ongoing dialogue with a meditation teacher, you can sign up for one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Uh, there's information about that also on the website, or if you wanted to arrange to have a, a call or a conversation with me about that, we could do that as well. The classes here are offered on a Donna basis. The suggested Donna for classes is here is $20. And, um, the practice of dana, or dana is a Pali word for generosity, is, uh, is about opening the heart, really, and so this is your personal practice of generosity. If $20 doesn't seem like a lot to you and doesn't feel generous, give it an amount that does. If $20 feels good, give it that amount if it's too much. Do consider each time you come, consider giving something, but give the, uh, an amount that's appropriate with your resources. I have a bowl out there for cash, and if you'd like, I can take a, a, a credit or a debit card. Thank you. <clears throat>